today we are continuing on, actually it's our final kind of installment of this series that we've been doing on the Bible. We like to say at the Gospel Tab and in the Greenhouse Network uh, that we are Bible people, that we want to be people of the book. Um, we want to be people who love to go to the book together. As our value statement says, we love the Bible because Jesus is the Word of God. And we've been saying these last few weeks that the Bible is Jesus' story. Um, so we are going to uh, finish this series today, and Brooke and I are going to do it together, which I'll say more about in just a second. Um, but as we go into the final installment today, let me tell you a little bit about uh, where we're going the next few weeks. So next week is Palm Sunday. The following Sunday is Easter, um, and of course, the Good Friday healing service will happen on Friday night, so we hope you'll participate in those things uh, the Friday before Easter. Um, and then after that, our worship leaders, uh, Kiara, who led today, and Jake and John are going to preach a little series for you on worship. Um, we are people who continue to learn to worship together, and if you've been journeying with us at the Gospel Tab, worship has changed a lot in recent years. Um, so three of our worship leaders want to take some time to teach you from the Word of God about worship. They're going to do an excellent job at that. And then after that, uh, we are going to be exploring another one of our values, uh, which is reconciliation. Um, I actually came into this morning's service with that heavy on my heart because of the events this last week. Um, you know, many of you probably know that there are many of our Asian American sisters and brothers who are really hurting today. I'm looking at my Facebook free feed, dear friends, um, who are gathering together in churches today uh, to grieve um, the shootings that happened this last week. My mind uh, this morning went back to the shooting that happened a number of years ago at Bethel um, African Methodist Episcopal Church and in Charleston, and I remember being here in worship with all of you the days after that shooting, um, and grieving and praying and worshiping together, and one thing that's clear is that as empire rages and as violence manifests, um, that we are called to be a reconciled, peacemaking people in the midst of that, and we're just going to keep coming into, you know, Sundays where we have to preach good news to that bad news. And so we're going to uh, be taking four weeks to talk about what it means to be a reconciled people from Scripture. We have a long way to go ourselves at the Gospel Tab and in our network. Uh, Brooke, in just a little bit, is about to use the wor words that we've been using in this series, humble and curious. And I just want to say this. If, if you want to do something in your heart to prepare yourself for that upcoming series as we talk about uh, reconciliation across lines of class and race, um, then I encourage you in these next few weeks in prayer and the word of God and just in listening to people to humble uh, to cultivate attitudes of humility and curiosity. That's how you can best prepare your heart um, to come into those series. So that's where we're going to be headed. But today, uh, we are going to be wrapping up our series in the Bible. I asked Brooke uh, to help me today for a couple of reasons. Um, Brooke is an excellent Bible teacher. Um, you know, at the Gospel Tab, I preach with 15 other people, men and women, here at the Gospel Tab. I love serving with this team. Um, and you know that Brooke is on that preaching team. She has preached here before, and we've been blessed by our sermons. But I really didn't invite her into this today just to model, like, preaching. We want to model to you something else today, and it's really just opening the Bible and asking good questions of the scriptures. 
And one thing you may not know about Brooke is that Brooke does this not just when she preaches here with us, but she has a Bible study in her workplace. Um, it's actually part of the Greenhouse Network, part of our network of missional outposts that are, are planted um, in different places. And she has just modeled so well opening up the scriptures in a humble way and asking questions, particularly with people who really may not be familiar with the scriptures. And number one, if you're here today and you're not familiar with the scriptures, you are in good company because a lot, all of us here are learning and growing. Um, but also, many of you are increasingly in places where you're having the opportunity to open the scriptures to other people, um, maybe people who aren't familiar with the Bible very much at all, and you're asking questions of the text and drawing application from it. So we're going to kind of model that for you today. Before Brooke um, gets us going in what essentially is going to be a Bible study today, and then Brooke and I are going to interact over it, so it's going to be a little bit of a different um, thing than the normal sermons we do. Um, I just want to hold out to you once again some resources. Um, we've mentioned the Bible Project and the Read Scripture app, the Mission 119 app, and then commonprayer.net. And then Brooke mentioned another one to me today, version, which I didn't get to get up on the screen. But I understand that a lot of you use that, um, version, and that you're like interacting uh, through it uh, for Bible studies. So how cool is that? I love it when I hear stuff. You know, after the fact, by the way, this is such our ethos at the Gospel Tab of the Greenhouse Network. You do not have to ask me to gather a few people together and study the Word of God together, all right? Um, I love it when I hear that things, you know, studies of Scripture ministries got started and I hear about it after the fact. Um, that brings my heart joy. Um, we have a culture of release here at the Tab and in the network, and you do not need to be a special class of disciple. Um, to get together with other disciples and learn the Word of God together. So please um, keep using these resources. All right, so Brooke is going to take us into a particular passage of Scripture, but today I don't want you just to notice uh, the passage that she's teaching on. I want you to notice how she's approaching the text, the questions that she's asking. Um, is everything okay? <laughs> I missed something, okay. Um, I want you to uh, notice the questions that she's asking, how she's approaching the text, and then I'm not going to be texting sitting up here. I am taking notes um, because I am learning with Brooke, and then we're going to interact together, okay? So, Brooke, take us there. Hello? There we go. Okay. Can you guys, um, does everybody have a handout? Like Michael mentioned, if you don't have a handout, raise your hand and some. There we go. We're switching mics around. Um, okay, so as we look at this, as Joel said, we are looking not only for how to study the Bible for ourselves, so you can take this today and you can think this is a way in the mornings, you know, or evening, whenever you open up the Word, a place, you know, a way to be able to study the Bible for yourself, um, but then also how to study the Bible if you're leading a group of people. That could be one person, it could be 10 people, it could be 50 people, you know, and you can just um, see what God is going to do. So my first point here, and I'm going to review a couple of points that Joel made over the last couple of weeks because I think they're important, um, 
is that the point number one is that we have to be humble and curious. And um, what this means is we have to approach the scriptures with a humility. And this means we do not have all the answers. We do not believe that because Joel's the lead pastor of the Gospel Tab that he has mastered the Bible. Like none of us um, in this movement are not at a place where we are growing and learning every single day. And every time you open the word, you should be ready to encounter um, the love of the Father. So you want to approach it with humility, but also curiosity. And when we say that, um, you're looking to find the voice of God and what he's saying specifically to you. And so these are just good things to keep in mind. And I just want to say that you can't lead other people where you haven't gone. So don't think that you can lead a study if you're not in the Word yourself. Like, you have got to be digging into the Word for yourself on a regular basis, and out of that place will flow the ability to be able to teach other people. Um, and I think that's super important because sometimes we can, you know, get to, you know, maybe at a place where it's like we drop our personal, uh, we get caught up or get busy, and it's like you need to stay in that place because that's where you're going to hear from the Lord for direction for what to do. Um, The second point I have is that we have to look for God in the passage and realize that the Bible is his story. Um, The Bible, Joel said this, is the clearest picture of who God is. The more we sit in the story, the more we get to know God. um, And we want to see where God is showing up in the word. So that's what we're looking for. I absolutely love finding crazy God stories in the Bible and teaching out of those places. Because I love it when people are like, is that really in there? I'm like, yes. I'm like, these are unbelievable stories. And that's um, part of the one that we're going to go through today. Um, And when I was growing up, I did not see the Bible as being exciting. And I didn't read it for what um, God was saying to me. I often thought of it as a checklist. Like I just, I had to do my devotions. I had to do this. And I just kind of like went through the motions. And I I really didn't get a lot out of it. So if you can learn how to encounter the scripture, and I have a a passage on here is from Hebrews 4.12, and it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul, the spirit, the joints, and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Um, And we have to point people to the word because we do believe that the word will encounter us and it will change us if we allow it to and it will encounter the people around us. Um, And so this is so important. And Joel mentioned, so I have a um, Bible study that Michael and I had started, it's probably six or seven years ago with work. And I remember thinking like, what am I going to teach on? You know, and that it was so clear. I'm like, they need the word. I'm not doing a book. I'm not doing anything else. Like we are opening the scripture Every time we get together, um, I felt so passionate about that was the direction, and it never gets old. <laughs> There's never not a place to go. And I listen to the Lord. You know, sometimes we've gone, I'm like, they need Jesus. So we go into stories about Jesus, and sometimes I'm like, you know, they need, you know, this particular direction. And so I listen, you know, to where to go, but we always are centered on the word, and we read scripture together. Um, like Joel mentioned, the U version Bible says, I must say, I am so encouraged because I get updates. Like if you're friends with me on that, I get updates when you finish your studies. Like I get a you know text and it says, Marissa finished her study on U version. And Mark Chasey, he is like the U version king. And I am so encouraged this morning, you finished a study, you know, and, and I knew that Mark finished a study. Um, it's so cool to be able to see that. So um, my third point is it's important to look at the background of a passage. Um, it's important to kind of help people get a footing for where, um, where the story takes place. And for me, um, you know, especially with like my office Bible study, 
oftentimes there's not much of a context for what to do, um, for, for where it falls in Scripture. So I like to, I don't know if it's a thing, but for me it is, I like to find an anchor point is what I call it. Um, and what that means is where in this story is there maybe something they might be familiar with around this passage. So for instance, I felt like in, the, in September that I was supposed to start going through the life of Moses. I've never done like a, like a series with them, um, but I felt clearly that that was what it was supposed to be. So I started like giving some of the background because I knew they would be familiar with Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. So I knew that that could be a reference point. And obviously, you know, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then we end up with Joseph, so I could have an anchor point there. And then out of that place was when Pharaoh forgot about the story of Joseph as, you know, the Pharaohs go on, and that's where we started. So I could give some kind of a reference, and I think that's super important um, to be able to look at that. And the fourth point is put yourself in the story and imagine what it really would have been like to be somebody in the story. Um, I always say this often. Um, I had somebody in my life that said, strap on your sandals, get into the story. And so we want to do that with people. This is exciting. This doesn't have to be boring. Um, and so being able to do that. And then the fifth point is, who is God revealing himself to be in this passage? And what is he trying to say to me? Um, and this question, as you start going through, I just, you want to have this question in your mind. And there's also four questions at the end that I have on your sheet there that we're going to process through. Um, and it's super important to be asking God um, these, you know, as you're reading through and asking this question. And this will transform how you read, um, how you read the Bible. Okay, so we're going to dig into this passage. Um, the thing that's kind of funny is that, you know, with this passage, this is a passage that when I was alone with the Lord years ago, it jumped off the page to me. I loved it. And God encountered me personally in it. Then I've thought about it. I've taught this at my office Bible study. I've actually taught this in a missional community that Michael and I did. And I actually taught this to middle school kids, <laughs> like 50 middle school kids, which was probably my most hardest audience I've ever had. Um, and so every time it's been different, what I say, how I say it, and what they get out of it, it's one passage. That's the living and active word of God, um, which is so cool. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, you know, in what we are to say in the setting that we're going to be in. If it's with one person, it's going to look different. If you're, you know, gathering a group, but don't be intimidated. God's going to show up. He will give you um, the words to say. So the passage we're going to look at um, today is found in 2 Kings. And so if we look at the background of this, you know, like I said, you want to like do a little research. Everything is at our fingertips. Like it's really easy to do research. Do not use Wikipedia, though. That is not a good place to get Bible research, okay? It's going to come up right in the top of your feed. Skip it. Go down. It's probably not going to be correct. Um, so, but there's, there's really good things out there. So in this passage, um, we're looking at the place where we have the northern kingdom and we have the southern kingdom. Um, and so in this passage, we're going to focus on the northern kingdom of Israel, and there's a king of Aram who's coming to get them. So that's, that's what our passage is going to be about. Um, but the one thing that's interesting in this place is that these, the books of Kings focus on two prophets, two main, two main prophets. One is Elijah, and one is Elisha. And so I think this is important to be able to have a context you know, for this. And I always would get confused between Elijah and Elisha all the time. And then one day, as I was like studying, I realized they're in alphabetical order. 
It will help you, I'm telling you. So Elijah comes first, Elisha comes after him. And so if we go to the beginning of 1 Kings, we have where Elijah's ministry is passing over to Elisha, okay? Um, And the really cool thing about this um, is that Elijah, you might know some of this stuff. And if, if you don't, like I said, how many times I, you know, when I give the history or context of something, people don't know um, these things, but they're amazed by it. So one of the things that's really interesting, whether you know it or not about Elijah, is that he didn't die. He was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Crazy God story right there. Read it. And, you know, and, and you can give some little, like, trailers, like, hey, dig into, for, you know, Second Kings. Like, look at this passage this week. We're not going to look at it today, but... Um, And so it's really a cool thing, but this is really fun. Um, So when Elijah goes to give, when he's going to be leaving the earth, Elisha is there. And the one thing that Elisha asks is that he wants a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So Elijah, read about him. I mean, crazy things that he has done. And then there's a confirmation that this did happen. Elijah says, I don't know if you can get it. You just have to see, like, when I leave, if you start doing crazy cool things, you got it. Like, that's what he's saying. And um, so nobody's quite sure, but this is so cool. In the scripture, it shows that there were, Elijah did seven major miracles, and Elisha did 14 major miracles. So here we have a double portion. So, I mean, how cool is that? And then, this is just a crazy aside, but Steve's been on this, like, double portion kick. He didn't know I was saying this. I didn't know he was, like, getting all this stuff. So there you have a confirmation. This probably was the right passage (laughs) to go through. So it's just cool how God does that. Okay, so we're going to look in um, the passage today, and we're going to read it together. Um, And usually when, if you're in, you know, a small gathering or something, it's good to kind of maybe take turns to read, um, reading it. If you're with one other person, reading it back and forth. If you're by yourself, sometimes it's good to read it out loud so you're not distracted. Um, But we're going to look at this passage about Elisha. And it says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Armenians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of Israel. None of us, my lord, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men to capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God went out early in the morning with an army, horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what what shall we do? The servant asked. Do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road. This is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the men you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. 
After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open their eyes so these men can see. So the Lord opened their eyes and looked, and they were there inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who have captured, who you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a feast for them. After they finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. They returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. This is a crazy cool story. Like, I absolutely love this story. So what we're going to do, I'm just going to go quickly through the story, and I'm just going to have you think about what this is like. A really good technique is asking yourself or those around you questions to be able to make it interactive. So I would, you know, if I was doing it in a small group, it would look more where there's um, answers coming back. But I want you to think about, imagine first, again, get ourselves in the story. Imagine that you're the king of Aram. And every time you come up with a new strategy to conquer Israel, they find out. And the king here, you know, he's enraged. And what does he think is happening here? He thinks that somebody is a traitor, right? I mean, he thinks for sure, somebody in his midst is like this, you know, they're, they're giving the strategy because every single time this is happening. But his men, and this is crazy, he asks his men and his men say, no, 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 none of us. If it's one of them, they are dead, okay? Like imagine if you were one of these soldiers at this time, like you would know your life is on the line. Like, like I said, get into the story. Imagine what this would be like. Um, and so they end up, they say, no, 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 it's not us. It's Elisha. It's the prophet. He knows the very words you're speaking in your bedroom. I mean, that is crazy. You know, the way that God is showing up. Um, and, you know, obviously he's giving Elisha these words and Elisha is telling the king. And so how many people is the king going after? Technically, he's going after one guy. Okay. And then if you look in verse 13, it's interesting. How many people does he send to go after one guy. He sends a strong force. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force. So we have, I mean, picture this, a huge army that is all, that is going after Elisha, okay? So the odds seem pretty good for the king of Aram, and he is pretty mad, okay? Um, so now I want you to imagine, so they realize they're in Dotham, I want you to imagine that you're the servant, okay? And you're waking up with Elijah, or Elisha, there we go. <laughs> you're waking up with Elisha, and all of a sudden, you see an army surrounding you. I mean, you would be thinking, today is the day I'm going to die. You know, this is it. I'm done. There is, there is no way out of this. There is no human way out of this situation, right? Um, and so, how does Elisha respond? And this is like a key point here in verse 16. I have it underlined for you guys. Um, he says, do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I think the servant was like, what are you talking about? You must be hallucinating. I clearly am seeing an army, and I don't know what you're seeing. So then, we look down a little bit further, and Elisha prays in verse 17, and he says, Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And as soon as his eyes are open, what does he see? He sees where there are hills full of horses and chariots and fire surrounding the army of Aram. So now we have, I mean, this is crazy when you think about what this is like. Um, 
And so now we have this servant that's probably like, what is going on? Um, And next, I want you to imagine that you're Elisha. um, And what does he pray in verse 18? Another crazy part of the story. You know, he prays and he's constantly, I want you to give a key here. He asks God. So he's, he's seeking God, you know, in the midst of this passage. Um, but he asked God to strike the army with blindness. And, it's, and it happens. Like, how <laughs> crazy is this? And then where does he lead them? He leads them into Samaria. So he's taking them to the king of Israel. And he, so we have, a, now we have, the, the army was ready to kill them. And now they're blind and being led into enemy territory, Okay. Um, now, imagine that you're the soldiers. Seriously, how crazy is this? One minute, you have two men surrounded. You're ready to kill them. Next thing you know, you get struck by blindness, and you're being led in a crazy direction. Um, and then what does Elisha pray in verse 20? He prays, open the eyes of these men. Side note, when you see in a passage something being repeated, take note. There's probably something there um, when you see that. So now we have two times um, that Elisha is praying, open the eyes. So I have in the back of my head, okay, maybe as I'm going to apply this to my life, there's something that's going to come out about the the line, open my eyes. Um, After they enter the city, Elijah says, you know, open the eyes of the Lord so they can see. Keep imagining you're you're in the army. You're now in the center of, um, of Samaria, enemy territory. Now the rule is reversed. You're thinking, today is the day I am going to die. You know, you had this all under control. Now all of a sudden you're inside the city. You're a sitting duck. Like they could just come after you. Um, And then think about you're the king of Israel. Like you had all these, you know, maybe thoughts or plans for how to attack the army. Next thing you know, the prophet comes marching them in. So they come into the middle of the city. And what does he say? He's like, what should I do with them? Like, I don't even know. He says, shall I kill them? He asks twice, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty easy, you know, to kill them. But he's like, I don't know. And then in verse 22, Elisha's response, he says, no, don't kill them. Would you kill those who captured you? Set food and water before them. So they, because they're probably hungry. They're probably thirsty. Then let them go home. I'm sure the king is like, what is this strategy? You know, like, this is really odd. This was not what I was expecting. So what does the king of Israel do? He listens. Like, he submits to Elisha, and he says, he doesn't just give him food and water. Like, I love this part of the story. Verse 23, he prepared a great feast for them. And after they finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. I want you to imagine one more time that you're the men in the army. Instead of getting killed, you were shown mercy and kindness. You weren't just given food and water. You were given a feast. And then you were sent home. Today should have been your death sentence, but instead you were sent home. That is a cool God story. Now I want you to imagine you're the king of Aram again. We're back in the beginning. He sees his army coming back. He's like, yes, you know, they got him. And then he's like thinking, where is Elisha? And imagine this. They come back and they tell this story. We had them surrounded. They were all there. We had the horses um, but then there were these other horses and chariots of fire, and then the, the prophet prayed that we would go blind. We all went blind. We ended up in the middle of Israel, in, in Samaria, and the king of Israel sent us, gave us a feast and sent us home. I mean, talk about a crazy God story here. Do you think that these guys would mess with Israel again? <laughs> like the king, if the king wanted to send them out again, do you think they would go, 
No. They were clearly stopped raiding, and I love the last line it says, um, they stopped raiding Israel. And so what does this story mean for us today? What can we learn about God and what he's saying to us? Um, and again, I just I want to put the passage back up on the screen as Joel and I go into this end part of Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So what God is saying to you in this passage is probably different than what he's saying to me, different than what he's saying to Joel. So we're all hearing different things, but this is the beautiful part of scripture. It never gets old, and there's always a takeaway for what God's saying to us. So now we're going to look at the four questions um, and just see what God says. And they're up on the screen and on your sheets. Okay, this first question, um, who is God? Um, this is, by the way, these four questions, we've used them before. They're questions that you can use when you're leading a study, um, but also when you're studying yourself. And we like these questions because they get at the heart of how we think we should be interpreting the Bible, which is to see it as a story about God, and particularly a story about Jesus, not just a rule book, manual, um, instruction book, um, not a story primarily about us, but a story about God, okay? So who is God? So I had a couple things come to my mind as Brooke was asking these questions, and I loved the way she asked questions to get us thinking, you know? Um, so we don't have to present ourselves as masters of the text. We can just ask questions with the people we're with and see, you know, where God leads us. So obviously, like, a theme is God being protector, you know? Um, but... I was thinking about that phrase, Brooke, um, that I said a couple weeks ago, like there is no unchristlikeness in God. So one thing I want to ask of every text is, okay, um, where does this story remind me of Jesus, you know? Um, and where is Jesus kind of a fuller version of the story, you know? Like there's a clue that this is pointing us toward Jesus. So I'll tell you when the reminder of Jesus came for me as you were taking us in this story, it's, it was the phrase, all these people went after this one guy. And I was like, oh, that happened to Jesus, too. You know what I mean? Like, all of empire. And think about when he got arrested, you know, in the garden. Um, this whole army comes after this one guy. And where that ends up, you know, at the cross, right, is a place where what is looking like is happening with, like, physical eyes does not at all you know, like, match the spiritual reality of what's happening. Like, it's looking like the armies are winning, right? So there's something in this story that makes us think of Jesus. And, and I would say the fuller part of that, right, is that here, Elisha and, and, the, you know, and Israel get a deliverance. It doesn't ever look that way with Jesus, does it, right there at the cross? It looks like a greater measure of defeat. But, of course, the deliverance comes at the resurrection, right? Um, and there's more, I, I have a lot in my head about what that means for me, but that's what I thought about, like, who God is. Like, it, I want to be thinking about where this reminds me of Jesus. Yeah, I was thinking, like, when I thought about that part with um, who God is, I was thinking that it's clear that it's a God who sees us in our circumstances, you know, and there's, there's a, um, a passage in um, Genesis that talks about, um, you know, the name of God, the God that sees us with the servant Hagar. So that was what was coming to my mind. Okay, so the second question here, um, who am I or who are we in light of who God is in this passage? Well, 
uh, when I was thinking about God showing up in these, like, or as you said, like these places, these places where he sees our circumstances and he's showing up in a way that doesn't look like, you know, what the circumstances just look like. Um, I was thinking about how, you know, when that makes me think of Jesus and how it even, you know, Jesus, like I said, the story went even a little bit further. It, it really looked like defeat. You know what I mean? But then resurrection happens. It, that means that, number one, when, when the circumstances surround me, right, and all I can see is, you know, he said this to her, and that, how am I going to have enough provision for this? And how am I, it means that even in the midst of that suffering, right, that God is working at a level that sometimes I don't see, you know, right away. But because of Jesus, right, it means that even if today I don't get a deliverance story like Elisha did, you know, and God often does that. He often comes through. But even if that doesn't happen, even if the story goes further, like Jesus ended up in the grave, right, it means that even then, like, those, those physical circumstances are not winning the day, right? Like, even then, God is doing something that I can't fully see. So what I wrote down in my notes is, who are you in light of who God is in this passage? Well, if God is all of that, then I'm invincible. Invincible, right? Because of, because of his love. Yeah, I was thinking, similar that I was thinking about like just that he sees our circumstances so different. Um, so who am I? I am seen and cared for by him where, you know, I might see financial difficulty or, you know, medical issues or, you know, these issues, but then thinking that he is seeing this so much bigger picture. And so um, the rest that I can have in this greater perspective, like especially I was, you know, in that part with the servant who doesn't see the army that's surrounding the angel armies, you know, he can't see that, but God, um, obviously it's there. He just needed his eyes opened. Yeah. Makes me think when you just said that too about the servant, Brooke, how, man, a lot of times when we're in these circumstances, there are people near us who can't see what God is doing. You know what I mean? And oftentimes they are speaking into the situation too. But man, Elisha heard the Lord, you know, like, um, you know, and, and sometimes when people are worrying around us, right, it's easy to fall into that. But man, Elisha had a, had a word from God. Yeah. Um, and then what is God saying to you? So on a personal level, um, I'll share this with you guys. Um, so on sabbatical, generally speaking, I would say I'm a pretty unworried person. Um, there's a lot of things uh, that are common reasons to worry that I don't feel much anxiety about. But it was interesting, when I was on sabbatical and took a break you know, from ministry for three months, anxiety was the first emotion I got in touch with. Um, I started to realize, like, oh, I do worry about things. I just don't think about it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and now I'm having to think about it because I can't do anything about it. Um, and um, I've always been a, a poor sleeper, and I think there's some uh, physical side to that. But one thing God is putting me in touch with is the anxiety that underpins some of my, you know, poor sleeping. Um, and so for whatever reason, sometimes you know, when I can't fall asleep, I'm sure some of you experience this, that's when I feel vulnerable, you know, to anxiety. And so that's what was coming to my mind as you were, you know, teaching on this passage. I was thinking about how, man, sometimes when I can't fall asleep at night, I'm just thinking about the things that I can see. You know what I mean? Like the things that I'm not sure are going to work out, the things. And in my case, many of those things are related to our movement or related to ministry, so it can feel even justifiable. You know what I mean? It's like, um, 
but a lot of times, like, I'm, you know, looking at the wrong thing. So, you know, this question, what is God saying to you, it doesn't always have to be a convicting thing, like, oh, this is something that God wants to change in me. Um, but that is what I was feeling as Brooke was going through this, just God putting, gently putting his finger on, on something in me related to that. Yeah, I was thinking in this, um, we, our family went through kind of a, an, a crazy situation over the last two weeks. Um, and I really felt like God was saying, you know, like in this, um, not to look at the circumstances the way the world is, where, you know, the world is really like pressuring us to like, um, press charges or like prosecute, um, on different levels. And I really felt strongly that God was like, I showed you how to give a feast. And I feel like, you know, in that circumstance, um, and what God is saying, it was so clear to me that, he wants me to figure out what he's going to say for what a feast looks like for them. Mm, so good. <laughs> and by the way, we didn't even get into that portion of the passage, but you want to talk about a part of the passage that reminds you of Jesus, right? Uh, man, all that stuff at the end there. And, and let me tell you something. I've been to Bible College Seminary. I'm aware of that last part of the passage, but actually it, when Brooke got into that, the army not being killed, and it was like, oh yeah, like I haven't thought about that for a long time, you know, that, so this is why we have to return to the word of God again and again, like, you know, we forget parts of these stories, um, but man, prodigal son stuff, if you're familiar with that story in the New Testament, say it. I would say Jesus washing their feet, like the, you know, not what you're expecting, but the servant. And that God wins this battle by mercy. Like, you know, like a story of the cross. I mean, it, it should remind us. Um, um, say, what am I going to do about it? So I said a couple weeks ago, the Bible is not some pain pill that we take to make all of our negative feelings go away. And if we treat it that way, if we teach it that way, we will create people who get disillusioned with the Bible really quick. Uh, they'll be coming to us and be like, this isn't working. You know what I mean? So for me, I don't want my takeaway to be like, you know, just stop thinking about hard things at night. You know what I mean? Um, as a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, um, I just felt on one of those nights when I was having trouble sleeping, I just felt the Lord invite me to read the Psalms at night. And not as a pain pill, not to make it all go away, um, but to take my anxiety to the place where, the, you know, sometimes what is unseen is reality. You know what I mean? Um, I think God was just inviting me to his promises. I felt like God spoke that to me, you know, a couple weeks ago, but what Brooke was teaching on brought it to mind. And by the way, you can be sure that is happening in the places where you are teaching and leading too. Um, God has already, already been speaking in the lives of people. He's already connecting dots, you know? So as you just humbly and with curiosity open the scriptures in front of people, the Spirit is going to connect those dots. So while Brooke was teaching, I was like, oh, I, I remember something that I felt like God spoke just to my heart, you know what I mean? To like, hey, if, if you're going to feel these things at night, just take it to my word, you know what I mean? Like, not to necessarily make it go away, but to view it in light of what you can't see, you know what I mean? Not just the, the things that are right in front of you. Mine is super practical, because in that story, um, you know, in the whole ins and outs of the, the story that our family walked through, I just felt so clearly that mercy and kindness win in the end, and I feel like that needs to diffuse a little bit, but then um, that, you know, I really feel like I'm supposed to write a letter 
where, you know, we show mercy and kindness and forgiveness, um, but then it's the love of the Father um, that did that. And so that's my very practical, what am I going to do about it? I love Brooke's application because do you hear how it's connecting to mission? So now we're not just reading the Bible for information, right? But it's like, hey, this is going to lead to mission to someone, and maybe wouldn't it be cool if out of this whole experience that Brooke and her family went through, that there's someone that we'll get to spend all of eternity with, right? Um, because God reaches their heart through this, you know what I mean? So we read the scripture to get on mission with him. Okay, I, final comment, and then Steve, are you closing? Who's, who's closing? Oh, Michael, and then I will let you, and then Brooke and I need to get down to the Franklin Avenue campus. But um, I just want to point out what we did here today is so different than teaching the passage like, uh, you should have courage like Elisha, right? Or you should X, Y, and Z. Um, we want to go, that, those things might be true. What an inspiring story. But we want to go a little bit deeper. Where's Jesus showing up in this? Where does that lead us to mission? What is God inviting us to, all right? And I think, I think we start to read the Bible then in a gospel way. It starts to feel like good news to our bad news. And too often the Bible is taught and presented in a way that does not feel like good news to people, right? And by that, I don't mean that's going to feel good all the time. Sometimes the good news actually hurts. Trust me, you know? Um, but I'm saying that we want to let the Bible preach good news to our bad news, all right? And then learn to do that with other people, all right? Thank you. Thank you.